Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, a special edition of the Peter King Podcast. It's my conversation with Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institutes for Health. I talked to Dr. Fauci over the weekend as I record this on Monday. I actually spoke to him late for, late Saturday afternoon. Um, we had a conversation of about 19 minutes and you are going to hear that entire conversation. And a few things before we get started. A bunch of people have uh, reached out to me and said, wow, how'd you get Fauci? Well, um, I have to uh, give credit where credit is due. A friend of mine, Ken Belson for the New York Times, a couple of weeks ago, had, a, had an interview with a fellow New York Times staffer. They went to Washington and interviewed Dr. Fauci. And I reached out to him a week or so ago and I said, hey, do you have any contact person who I might be in touch with about Fauci. And I said, hey, I know we're in a competitive business. We don't feel good about sharing that. It's absolutely fine. You know, and I figure, you know, I've been in this business a while. I'll, I'll figure out who to be in touch with. But he said, no, here it is. Good luck and, and all that. So <clears throat> I emailed uh, a woman at the National Institutes for Health. And that started a chain. I think we ended up with 20 seven emails back and forth trying to arrange this and a couple of times it was on but then it was off and then finally I wrote to this woman and I said um, listen I'd really like to write this for my column on Monday and so if you could get to me at all even at a moment's notice uh, anytime over the weekend just let me know and uh, so she said okay I will and so finally, after, after that, we worked it out. I didn't think I was going to get him at all. And I'd say it was maybe 4.30 on Saturday afternoon. She said, call this number at 5.30. And so it was, uh, you know, it was fortuitous. And at the time, you know, I already had a pretty long column, uh, all researched and I'd say about 70% written including about 4,500 words on the life and times of Don Shula, who died last week. And even though it would have been sort of, you know, numbers-wise and people clicking on it, would have been sort of a lead balloon as far as getting people to read a column like that because a bunch of people don't want to read 4,500 words on Don Shula. I mean, if you're 35 years old, when Don Shula coached his last game, you were 10. 
you know, you don't, you don't really care about Don Shuley. You know, you know, it's not, he's not really in your wheelhouse. But I sort of looked at the Shula part of my column this week as, okay, you got to take your medicine now. You got to learn about the guy who won more games than anyone ever did. So, but then that all vanished when um, uh, Dr. Fauci uh, got on the phone with me about 5.30 and said, how can I help you? <laughs> so uh, a couple of points that I wanted to make about the conversation and about uh, my thoughts about the NFL going forward, okay? Let's, let's just talk for a moment about how that right now we really don't have absolutes about COVID-19. We don't know when it's going to go away. We don't know when, because almost certainly it will, we don't know when it will come back. And so for everybody said, well, wait a second, if it, when it vanishes, and when we, when we finish up with it, you know, what do you mean come back? And the point is that most pandemics have a second and sometimes third life, uh, or they have third lives, second and third lives. And the reason is that a pandemic starts and stops in different stages all over the world. You've probably read now that in China and South Korea, it, it's largely under control now. And people have gone back to much of, not, not altogether, but much of their regular ways of life. And now it's sweeping through the United States. Dr. Fauci's point is that with international travel as prevalent and common, as easy as it is, Someone in the, you know, in November or December, and maybe many people, are going to get off a plane at JFK in New York from South Africa and from Nairobi and from places, quite honestly, in the Southern Hemisphere, where, honestly, the, the, the outbreak will be coming later in the year, as, as Dr. Fauci and others have said, the the uh, the disease does not do very well in torridly hot weather. So, you know, as it gets cooler and more, uh, you know, more correct to the weather at this time of year in places like South Africa and and in you know below the equator, um, that is then going to make the disease come out a little bit more. Those people come to the U.S., come to China, come to the populous countries in the Northern Hemisphere, and there will most likely be uh, a second wave. What has been so interesting, you know, I told a few people this over the weekend, a general manager reached out to me and basically we had a kind of a long text exchange about this and about how, you know, this guy is very conscientious GM and he was talking about we're doing everything and I said, just, just remember, something that Dr. Fauci told me. You know, if you get, say, three positives at some point during the season, most medical people would say, you gotta shut your whole team down and quarantine your team for two weeks. So if you're in October and you do this on a, on a Saturday, 
let's say, you test your whole team and three or four people are positive, you're not playing your next two games. So there's, and I said, that's why, in my opinion, and I told this to another general manager on the phone today, that it is almost as important, your hygiene, how sanitary you are inside your practice facilities, and how seriously every player takes this disease. And the transmissibility of this disease is as important, quite honestly, as your offensive and defensive game plan for that week. Because think about it. You know, if, you, if you've got three, four, five guys who test positive in one week, you're not playing. So the game plans don't mean anything. And so that is one of the things about this whole uh, disease and this whole situation that I think that it is incumbent on NFL teams to take it very seriously. Here's one other point I'm, I'll make before we get uh, to Fauci, and that is about testing. And I said to him flat out, I said, listen, I've kind of put pen to paper. And I think if you test every active player uh, twice a week during the season, and then you test the, uh, the essential personnel for every team, you know, in order, these essential personnel to be around the team for teams to play the games and to show up on Sunday and to be able to, uh, to put the games on. That, I think you could probably uh, count on about 200,000 tests uh, through all these teams, basically, to, to get a season played. Um, and you know what? It, it might be more than that. We'll see. I don't know. But I asked Dr. Fauci if it would be a bit piggish right now for the NFL to take that many tests coming, say, three, starting three months from now. And his answer was very significant, and I think it points to why there's some optimism in the United States about not only putting the disease on the shelf, but for people who love football to play football. Uh, and he said basically that, look, right now it would be piggish. But in the fall, it shouldn't be. If we follow up and do what we say we're going to do as a government, as a country, we will be able to have that many tests ready uh, and prepared for, uh, you know, for people to take them. So, and, 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 the, and the other thing, he, he was kind of strangely optimistic about sports. He's a huge baseball fan. He loves the Washington Nationals. He's not that much of a football fan. He used to love the New York Giants, but, uh, you know, life takes different turns. And so he's not that big a football fan. He certainly follows it. He knows what's going on. Um, but he's more of a baseball fan now. And so, but, but I think he recognized the value of football uh, in our society and certainly recognizes that his boss, President Trump, certainly wants to have football and all sports back as soon as possible. So let's get to my conversation with Dr. Anthony Fauci of the National Institutes for Health. So obviously in the NFL in recent weeks, there has been much discussion about whether the season is going to be played. Will it be played on time? Will it be played with fans? And uh, obviously everything can't be known right now that needs to be known. Um, but the thing you have said in recent weeks that is most notable to me is that 
and I quote, it's inevitable that we'll have a return of the virus, Correct. probably in the fall and winter. Correct. So tell me in your mind how that could impact uh, you know, outdoor activities, uh, uh, okay. collective activities in the fall and winter. Well, look, that's obviously a highly relevant question, and the answer is not going to be black and white, and let me explain what I mean. So when I said there's no doubt the virus is going to return, that is in response to some who have said, oh, it's just going to disappear. So unlike the virus SARS back in 2002, when we had an outbreak of about 8,000 people and about close to 800 deaths, and then the virus essentially just petered out by good public health measures for the simple reason that it wasn't efficiently or effectively transmitted from one person to another. In other words, it was not an efficient spreader so that when you damp down on it with public health measures, it actually got to the point where it disappeared. That's not the case with this novel coronavirus. It is so transmissible and it is so widespread throughout the world that even if our infections get well controlled and go down dramatically during the summer, there is virtually no chance it will be eradicated, which means there will be infections in the Southern Hemisphere, in South Africa, in Argentina, places like that. And with the travel, the global travel every single day of literally hundreds of thousands of people coming into the United States every day from all over, there's no chance we're going to be virus-free. Now, the football season and what the fall is going to mean, it will be entirely dependent on the effectiveness with which we as a society respond to the inevitable outbreak that will occur. So what are the options? If we let it just go and we don't have a good response, you could have an outbreak somewhat similar, probably not as bad because we got hit really with a one-two punch, particularly New York City and New Orleans and Chicago. But we can expect an outbreak that would be serious. That's if we do nothing. So it's inconceivable that we would do nothing. <laughs> so what, you're, what we're saying is what is going to be the, the effectiveness of our response Right now, in the winter, as you can see, we did not exactly have an overwhelmingly successful response. There was a misstep with testing in the beginning. There wasn't enough tests. Now that we're starting to get enough tests, there wasn't enough personal protective equipment that we could give to the healthcare workers. There wasn't enough personal protective equipment to do contact tracing. That was January, February, not January, January, nothing was here, but February, March, and April. Right. So now we're in May. Now, even if the virus goes down dramatically in June and July and August, as the virus starts returning in the fall, it would be, in my mind, shame on us if we don't have in place all of the mechanisms to prevent it from blowing up again. In other words, enough testing to test everybody that needs to be tested, enough testing so that when someone gets infected, you could immediately do contact tracing and isolation to prevent the infection from going to a couple of infections to hundreds of infections. That's how you control an outbreak. So practically speaking, the success or failure, the ability or not 
to actually have a football season is going to depend just on what I said. Because if we're ineffective and we get an in other words, if things are the way they are now, I'm speaking to you from Washington, D.C. We're still having an outbreak in Washington, D.C. It is not yet adequately controlled. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, it will be. So if that's even close to the case, I don't see stands in the football field. I could see a hybrid of it, which has been suggested for the baseball season, where you test all the players and essentially keep them segregated for a period of time, get them to play and watch just on television. The difference between baseball and football is one is so much more of a contact sport. But if all of the players are tested and all of the players are negative and those who are positive you know, are taken out of commission for 14 days until they become negative, then that's a possibility. I mean, I'm giving you a, a wide range of things. But what I'm really saying, it's unpredictable, depending upon how we respond in the fall. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. And obviously, as you have said on many occasions, we can't know everything about this because it changes all the time. So exactly. I have I have great I have great respect for that. I I guess the other main thing that interests me the most is do we have any idea what happens when people maybe sweat on each other in close contact and you know the 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 way football is played when there is so much contact and some of it violent contact does do we have any idea how a virus uh, yeah. In someone who even hasn't tested positive for it, but who may have it, uh, how that could be transmissible? Yeah, well, generally not with this virus because it hasn't been tested, but sweat does not do it. It's almost all, this is a respiratory virus, Peter, so it's going to be spread by shedding virus. Now, the problem with virus shedding is that if I have it in my nasopharynx, and it sheds and I wipe my hand against my nose, now it's on my hand, you see? Then I touch my chest or my thigh, then it's on my chest or my for at least a few hours. So uh, sweat as such won't transmit it, but if people are in such close contact as football players are at every single play, then that's the perfect setup for spreading. So I would think that if there is a infected football player on the field, a middle linebacker, a tackle, whatever it is, as soon as they hit the next guy, the chances are that they will be shedding virus all over that person if they're infected. That's the right. point. That's why I said that similar to what the baseball people are thinking about, that if you really want to be in a situation where you want to be absolutely certain, you test all the players before the game and you say those who are infected, hopefully none of them will be, Sorry, you're sidelined. Those who are free, get in there and play. Do you do you suggest testing literally on Sunday morning? Uh, no, I, yeah. Well, if you have one of the rapid tests, which can give you a 15-minute answer, yeah. and there are tests like that that are available, yeah, you could do that. You right. know? Is, it, is, it, is, it, is it important to test more than once a week or, or, or just you know, once? No, 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 no. You see, the problem is that the people will sting you on this. 
because if I test today and I'm negative, you don't know if I got exposed tomorrow and then I'll see. So you can't say you've diminished dramatically the chances that you're going to be transmitting if you know for sure on one day you're infected, you're, you're, you're negative. But there's no guarantee that you're going to get exposed and be positive the next day. Right. I mean, I give, give you an example. You're probably reading in the newspapers that there's an infection in the White House, right? So I was yes. exposed to that person. So I immediately got tested. I'm negative. So I'm negative yesterday. I don't know if I'm going to be negative Monday. You understand? Yes. So, uh, so we, uh, it's almost a, a, an impossible situation that to be 100% sure, you got to test every day. But that's not practical, and that's never going to happen. Is but you but you could diminish dramatically by testing everybody, you know, Saturday night, Sunday morning before, and say, okay, only negative play is play. Okay, so let's just say, for the sake of argument, that the NFL decided to test their players twice a week. Let's say to be right. safe. Okay, with those Abbott Lab fifteen-minute tests. Let's say. Okay. Right. So that would mean probably, I figured this out, about 200,000 tests to play a full season, okay? And my question is, by middle to late August, do you believe that 200,000 tests is realistic or is that just being piggish, you know, by, uh, by a sport to take that many tests away from the general public? Well, if, if they give, that's a great question. Right now, it would be overwhelmingly piggish, right now. But by the end of August, we should have in place antigen testing that's high throughput that you could test millions of people, you know, millions of people. Right. So, but again, we have to make sure that the companies that are doing these tests actually produce them, which given the country that we have, such a rich country, I would be some very surprised if we can't do that. Yeah. You're working for a man who really wants football back. How much <laughs> how much is that going to have to do with you think whether football will be played this fall? No, well, you know, I could only give my medical advice. If there's infection out there and I say, you know, I think that we should lock down or not, I'm I'm just an opinion among many. You know, whether people listen to my public health opinion or override it, that's out of my hands. Right. Um, and in your mind, just your gut feeling as you sit here right now, do you believe it is wise and or safe for negative testing players in an empty stadium to play football in September? players could play to an empty stadium i think it's feasible is it guaranteed no way is it feasible because there will be virus out there and you will know your players are negative at the time they step onto the field you're not endangering you'll be vulnerable if you endanger the public by letting people into the stadium if we're there you know and also if the virus is so low that even in the general community, the risk is low, then I could see, you know, filling a third of the stadium or half the stadium so people could be six feet apart. I mean, that's something that is, again, feasible, depending on the level of infection. 
Yeah. So I keep getting back to that. It's going to depend. Like right now, if you fast forward, and it is now September, the season starts. I say you can't have a season. It's impossible. There's too much infection out there. It doesn't matter what you do. But I would hope that by the time we get to September, it's not going to be the way it is right now. It's kind of crazy when you think about it because you like sports and you understand you understand the importance of sports. You know, high school basketball player, uh, you know, and now you love the Nats, you love baseball. And you understand in our society, man, we are really missing sports right now. Um, is it is it is it silly to put so much emphasis on trying to get sports back? No, no, I don't think so. I think that the country is reeling from being locked in, you know. And I think sports is one of the first of the of the you know of the activities that people can really take great pleasure in and, and participate vicariously and otherwise. No. I mean, that's the whole beauty of sports. That's why it's such an attractive activity. Yeah. Um, I have two other questions for you. One is, when you were a kid, you talked a lot about your, your love of the Yankees growing up in Brooklyn. I'm in Brooklyn right now. Um, and... I wonder, did you did you like football at all growing up? Do you care about it now? You know, less so, to be, I have to be perfectly honest with you, less so uh, than when I was a kid. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, we had the New York Giants. <laughs> right. And, 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 and everybody rallied around the New York Giants. In baseball, it was different when I was a child. We had three teams. We had the Brooklyn Dodgers, the New York Yankees, and the New York Giants baseball team. But I was, always, I was never really a made. The reason probably... Because I didn't play football. See, I played baseball and I played basketball and I could identify very closely. Uh, you know, you could almost feel yourself swinging the bat when you're watching Mickey Mantle or you could almost feel yourself going up for a jump shot when you see somebody take a jump shot. But I, I don't have that connection to football. Um, and have you had any contact with the NFL office? Have you talked to Roger Goodell? Have you talked no. to anybody in the league? No, I have not at this no. point, no. They just hired every uh, team. Uh, Goodell directed that every team uh, either hire or appoint what's called an infection control officer. And, you know, so if anybody tests positive, that person will be the point person. And, you know, I wonder, what would, what would be your advice, I guess, to both to NFL teams and to people trying to keep the uh the league virus free as much as possible when and if they start playing football again you know i think I mean, all the things they want to do obviously you have to have a physician you got to be able to take care of people who are infected know what to do with them you know get them isolated if they're sick take care of them if they just need isolate them and all that's a given that's like apple pie motherhood but i think what our conversation has been for the last 15 minutes is what i would tell them the idea about making sure the players are negative and making sure that if you have uh, if there's infection out there, keep the stands clean. If there is no infection or very little infection, you know, open it up partially. And if we're free of the virus, which I don't see we will be at all, then have a packed stadium. So I don't, I don't see us going to packed stadiums, but I see at least the possibility if things go really, really down of having players play if they're tested negative. I know how dangerous hypotheticals are, 
but suppose you test a team of 53 players on a Saturday night and four of them test positive. Is there a, a level at which... Yeah, you got a problem there. You know why? Yeah. Because it is likely that if four of them are positive and they've been hanging around together, that the other ones negative are really positive. So, I mean, if you have one outlier, I think you might get away. But once you wind up having a situation where it looks like it's spread within a team, you got a real problem. Yeah. You're going to shut it down. And And also, I take it that teams have to be willing to say... If Patrick Mahomes tests positive on Saturday night, he's got to disappear for two weeks. Absolutely. Absolutely. It would be malpractice in medicine <laughs> to put him on the field. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything else you want to say that you feel I should know? No, I think we, we covered it pretty well. Yeah. You get the feeling. I mean, the, the, the point I'm making, it is uncertain. And you have to play it by ear according to the level of infection in the community. That's going to determine. You know, I've often said it, I've been quoted in the papers many times, the virus decides many times what the decision must be, not us. You know, <laughs> we ultimately make the decision, but the virus makes the decision for us. When I saw you quoted as saying a week or so ago, we could be in for a bad fall and bad winter, I said to myself, that's the virus making the decision. You bet. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. Hey, by the way, I'll leave you with this. Uh, my wife is Italian, all four grandparents born in Italy, and she's right now making chicken piccata and pasta and said you were welcome to come to dinner, but you're going to have to wear a mask. Okay. <laughs> Tell them thank you very much. Indeed. Hey, Dr. Fauci, thanks so much. This, will, uh, this will be comforting to a lot of people who follow the NFL. Okay. Thanks a lot. Take care. Take nice care. Talk. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. My thanks to Dr. Fauci for his time, sort of an abbreviated podcast. We wanted to get this up as soon as we could this week. Um, and so uh, that's going to be my lone interview this week. Uh, I appreciate everybody's interest in this. There's been an awful lot of interest. I've been doing a lot of talk radio and we'll do some more in the next uh, day or two. I was on Lunch Talk Live with Mike Tirico and I'm going to plug his show here. His show is phenomenal. Every day there's interesting people on it. And, you know, today I was on his show on Monday. And the other two guests after me, two of them, uh, were from the basketball world. Patrick Ewing, obviously the Georgetown coach, and Rudy Tomjanovich, the ex-NBA player. Obviously Ewing had a very distinguished career in the NBA. Uh, both talking about the last dance with Michael Jordan and the incredible interest that this really great documentary on ESPN has stirred up all over the country. So those interviews you can hear, um, you know, if you just go and look at Mike Tirico's uh, uh, area of the NBCSports.com page. You can also find it on the NBC Sports YouTube page, which has a jillion really good, relevant interviews. You'll see a lot of really good stuff uh, from Mike Florio on his PFTPM podcast and the Chris Sims Unbuttoned Put podcast. I'll tell you, you can get lost uh, both on the NBC Sports YouTube page and in just listening to the podcast in the NBC Sports umbrella world 
uh, you can get lost for a long time and not regret a minute of what you're hearing. But thanks for listening to the podcast this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Everybody out there, please stay safe. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/slash activecash.